Wednesday night on the fan pregame Sportsnet and Sportsnet 590. The fan here for the next hour, Ailish and Justin and lead game on Wednesday night hockey. The Jets are in town to face the Leafs for a little home and home action. Samsonoff gets the net tonight and Leafs face one of the top teams in the league for a little bit of a litmus test. Craig Simpson's going to join us in a few minutes from Scotiabank Arena to tee it all up. Uh, the Global Mail reported that uh, five players from Canada's 2018 World Junior Team have been told to surrender to London Police Services in connection to allegations of sexual assault. Uh, we'll have more on that and some hockey talk in about a half hour with Frank Saravelli. Bo Bichette joined Blair and Barker today and was asked about the Jays' window of opportunity, and he did not hold back. We're going to play a clip from that later in the show, and you can always check out their podcast wherever you get Blair and Barker. And we'll debate the merits of NHL expansion after Utah-based billionaire Ryan Smith stated it is his interest in bringing the NHL uh, to his state. Lots to go through today. Um, before we bring in Craig Simpson, let's talk about that Leafs and Jets game because you laid it out perfectly when we were off the air about two teams that are kind of polar opposites from each other coming into battle tonight. Yeah, I think it's a fascinating juxtaposition. Uh, two ways to build a hockey team, I suppose. If you do two, Team A and Team A being... The Maple Leafs here, uh, goaltending situation, we'll call it dubious at best. I mean, there's there there's another layer coming, which was a Wall's return, but Samsonov, Martin Jones, and all that. Whereas the Jets, Team B, they got a dominant workhorse netminder mm-hmm. who you can know you can rely Not on. Not playing every tonight though. Single time. That's an interesting bit of news that mm. changes the way this game might be played a little bit. But uh, I guess I can't call him a workhorse if not playing tonight. But aside, <laughs> aside from that, uh, you know, singular individual talent for the Maple Leafs, right? You know the names, you know the stats. They've got really, really brilliant high-end talent. And with Team B, the Jets, not a single player right now in the top 50 in scoring. The biggest difference might be the cap sheet. I mean, the Leafs have a top-heavy roster, haves and have-nots. You're either making money or you're not. And if you look at the Jets, it's pretty much just like a really balanced gradient of the best players making a little bit more than everybody else. Basically a working class with people making the right sort of dollar amount and the blue lines. Uh, It's the strength of the Jets Mm. and it's kind of patchwork right now for the Maple Leafs. Even the trade habits I find unbelievably fascinating. You have the Jets who have been forced to trade superstars Mm. in recent history, whereas the Maple Leafs will do anything but trade superstars. So these teams could not be different and yet they look at each other as rivals and they look at each other tonight as tests of one another. I think I like a team that's built a bit more level and built on depth. And I I think that's the way the Winnipeg Jets are, right? So, I mean, if you just look at a team that is in a better position to win, right now it's the Winnipeg Jets. They're top three in the NHL. Uh, They're the top of their division. They're one of Canada's best chances at winning a Stanley Cup. And if you had asked us, uh, you know, before the season, a lot of people picked the Oilers, which... They look red hot right now, 14-game mm-hmm. win streak. Uh, they picked the Leafs, who are in a bit of a different spot. And then the Canucks and the Jets are kind of, you know, the one that you think of later. But they have completely turned around the perspective of a hardworking team that just, like, goes in and does their business. And the Maple Leafs are going to see that tonight. And I think it is a really good opportunity to size up the competition. The last time that I felt that we saw the Maple Leafs play a team that really pushed the narrative of is this team good enough was when they played the Colorado Avalanche. We were at that game uh, with Sportsnet 590, the fan. And I remember leaving the rink being like, the Leafs are not even close to the Colorado Avalanche. Like the way that they just controlled that game and they had McKinnon and they had McCart. Like it was beautiful to watch a team that was so dominant, but they're built a little bit more leafy. 
Mm-hmm. And if you look at the Jets tonight, I wonder if we are going to compare and contrast a team built one way versus a team built the other. Who's got a better chance at having a lengthy playoff run? Well, I think the Maple Leafs can try to prove their part of the argument tonight. I love that you bring up Colorado and the Leafs because that's, I think, what the Leafs aspire to be, right? Mm-hmm. Obviously, they've got those great players. And how do you get the supporting talent? Uh, and how do you support high-end talent? That's how you build a winner. And guess what? They won a couple of years mm-hmm. ago. So it's possible, despite the pay structure being a little bit differently, that that model works. But last year, what was it? It was Vegas and a blue line. They're a Jetsy and goaltending. team. They are as Jetsy as they come, really. I think <laughs> that's what the Jets would aspire to be, is a team that makes it so difficult on you to get yours behind brilliant goaltending and uh, production that would be, I guess, opportunistic uh, in nature. So there are two ways to do it, and I think the Leafs are going down one road, the Jets are going down the other, and both can lead to glory, uh, but it is worth debating right now which one seems a a little bit more uh, within one's reach. Which team can make the biggest change at the at the trade deadline it feels like it's the maple leafs right because they have a couple big pieces that they're missing like what are the jets acquiring at the trade deadline like, well, what do been, they need they've been quiet right mm-hmm. like that's an, another thing is like the difference is they they don't make those overreactions they've made big moves because mm-hmm. they've had to but they don't really show that same ambition that the leafs at least in recent seasons have but uh, the pathway to get better materially better i think that belongs with the winnipeg jets who mm-hmm. do have prospects and do have uh, prospect capital and, and futures assets. I think they could put themselves over the top when I think the Maple Leafs right now are asking themselves, well, should they? All right, let's bring in Craig Simpson down at Scotiabank Arena, of course, of the NHL and the Sportsnet and Hockey Night in Canada. Simmer, how's it going tonight? Good, Alex. How you doing, Justin? I, I said bad timing as soon as you guys got me on. Of course, the music came on here. <laughs> That's okay. You can sing along and let us know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, Justin's laying out a really good point before he brought you in, that these two teams are kind of built pretty different. Uh, Maple Leafs with more top-heavy talent. Um, you know, their goaltending situation couldn't be more different. Their blue line situation, you know, obviously is opposite as well. Uh, do you think tonight is the, the two different teams going into battle uh, that are built different and probably have the similar aspirations, although? Well, I, I don't think there's any question the aspirations are the same. But, uh, yeah, they're, without question, I think the Winnipeg Jets have taken a mindset that uh, – not that they don't have great offensive players. They, they do. They have guys who can put the puck in the net on uh, their top line, but it's not a specific sort of game plan or blueprint that, you know, your elite guys are going to be the ones carrying you on. I, I think right now the top four guys for the Maple Leafs are at about uh, 63% of the offense. Uh, and you can argue that's not a great thing, but it also – tells you what your lineup looks like and how you have to sort of filter uh, the support around it. But I I don't think there's any question that when both these teams play the way that they want to, I I think the mindset is similar to be a puck control team, to to not give up much defensively. But I don't think there's any question if you look at this year, it's the Jets that have done a much better defensive job. I mean, they're the best defensive team in the league. You can look to some goaltending as a, as part of that reason, but I think there's more to it in the sense that they know that they're probably not going in to run and gun and beat teams and open a game up. They know that they can play a patient, uh, strong defensive team and still get their offense when they need to, uh, but they don't give up much. And, and that's a tough team to play against, and that'll be the challenge for the Leafs to, 
to try to figure out how to create offense against him. Uh, we won't see him tonight, Simmer, uh, but if uh, there's a trump card between these two teams, I, I guess it would be Connor Hellebuck. Uh, he's definitely the favorite for the Vesna Trophy right now. He's having a brilliant season by every measure. How would you best contextualize what he's doing right now? I mean, is there an argument for MVP? Is he that important to what one of the best teams in the NHL is doing right now? Where's Connor Hellebuck's game for you? Well, I, I think his game is right where it was last year. You know, he was a finalist for a reason there as well. And, uh, he's a guy who prepares the same every day. He's uh, got great attention to detail, not afraid to have uh, a big load of games, not afraid to have a ton of shots tonight. Uh, I think over the last you know, five, six years, he's one of the guys who has the most minutes and the most shots against. So, that's kind of in his DNA and, and how he's able to play the game. But, uh, you know, I, I think that he's definitely right there in the conversation for Vesna. But you also look at, you know, when you look at teams and just looking at the stats right now and you look at goals against the save percentage from your starter to your backup. I mean, Laurent Bassois is 218 to Connor's uh, 217 and 923 to his 925. So that tells you that it's more than just the goaltender. It's the entire package of the team. And I think they have a, a really predictable defense in front of them. They have a committed group in front of them. And uh, not to belittle the, the least numbers again, but you look at from starter Martin Jones numbers to Samsonov's, you know, the variance is there. So that tells you that the excellence has been there for Hellebuck but there's not really a drop-off in, the A, the way the team plays, and, uh, B, the guy we're going to see tonight, Laurent Bassois, in 11 games has done exactly what you would hope uh, a backup guy can do and make the team in front of him feel that it's not much different than the night that Connor Hellebuck plays. Yeah, that's a great point. I mean, most immediately helping those goaltenders is the blue line, which is probably the one, one of the more underrated units in the entire NHL. I mean, they got the top end uh, with Josh Morrissey, but you look at even through, you know, the, the third pairing, you'd like to see that maybe as a second pairing on other teams. Is, is that what you see? Uh, you, do you see a, a unit that sort of, sort of stands out, a unit that might be able to rival what the Vegas Golden Knights did last year, basically leaning on the best blue line in the NHL? Uh, to win a Stanley Cup. Is there a comparison there for you? Well, I think as the year goes along and you look at pairings and you look at the defensive part of the game, I, I think, you know, what what the the back end for Winnipeg does is they're, they've got guys who can play a physical game, not afraid at all to take the body, and when the game ramps up from a physical standpoint, they're able to respond to it. They're fairly effective at, uh, you know, moving the puck. Uh, so you, you need that second and third pair to not be a trouble of turnovers and not being able to keep the offense going. And I think they do a, a solid job of, of moving the puck up ice. They're not afraid to get involved offensively. You're getting some production. You know, Brendan Dillon with six goals already, Pionk with four. You've got some production from the back line as well. But I don't think there's any question that you you hope as a team that you've got a physical aspect and a box out in front of the net and a predictability from your back end that allows you to play the way that Vegas was able to play through the playoff grind where your game doesn't have to change all that much. You know, when the game gets tighter and tougher in the playoffs, sometimes the makeup of the team's defense that second pair might really struggle with that, or the third pair gets exposed because they can't handle the pressure. And I, I think much like we just talked about overall with the Jets, their three pairs 
uh, seemed to be comfortable in that kind of game. And that's, I, I think, what they were hoping to try to put together. And it seems at least 45 games in that it, it's been a successful uh, formula. Jets had a 4-1 loss on uh, Monday night to Boston, uh, one empty netter, but they did have the first game in 35 games with over three goals allowed. Uh, two cup contenders going head-to-head, not often that you see two division leaders go a- into battle. What did that loss, if anything, mean to Boston? Is there a weakness? Is there something that we would know um, leading into the trade deadline or into the playoffs that the Jets would want to to bolster up You know, uh, those two teams? you know, People were saying maybe a cup final uh, preview, but you know, there's still some ground to be made here yeah no, i i kind of laughed at uh rick bonus today when he was asked about <laughs> your team getting back on track and he's like they, they've lost two games <laughs> what in the last 23 uh you know they've had points in 20 of the last 23 uh i don't think they're concerned about the loss in boston i, I think the telling point he said is we had trouble with our breakouts we were slow we didn't get the speed of our game up and you know, it's one of those nights when you've been on an incredible run. They had an 8-0 and run uh, followed, following a 12-0-2 prior to that. So I don't think they're too concerned about their game dropping. But like anything, you, you know, I think the one telltale sign of good teams is they don't allow that dip to, to happen and fall too long. You know, they've had two losing streaks of three games, but that happened in the first 20. You know, since then, their team that gobbles up the points and that's why they're near the top so i don't think there's a concern the trade deadline is always a, an interesting discussion point because you know that you're you're probably not going to reshape your be able to reshape your team that dramatically uh you know when that are going to be a given you you take a bit of a gamble every time you trade a first round pick for what you think might be an impactful guy and I think Kevin Sheveldayoff, uh, you know, has had a team that's been consistent all year. And I think the messaging would be, you know, maybe some support guys. But I, I, I don't think you're in a position where you'd say, you know, you want to change it all that drastically with the way that the group has played uh, for him. Uh, yeah, you're right about the run for Winnipeg. Uh, it's been a tremendous one. Uh, there's been no such run, though, for the Toronto Maple Leafs of late. Uh, kind of up and down. Uh, definitely more variable uh, in the way that the Winnipeg Jets have not been. It's been a weird stretch uh, for the Maple Leafs here, uh, and one that I think is leaving fans somewhat confused about what they could be, what they are, what they should be by the deadline. Have, have you have the Leafs defined themselves for you, Craig? And if so, what what is this team? Well, I, I don't think they've been able to define their their game. I don't think they've had. Uh, a consistent stretch yet uh, where they felt that the lines all made sense and that you could leave even a third or a fourth line together for a long period of time. Uh, you know, the little tinkering with the top two, I think you know who the four guys are probably going to be uh, on the top two. But I think the most troublesome for Brad for Living is saying, you know, they haven't shown that they can be when they're at their best like they have been in the past a real puck possession dominant team. They, they haven't had that stretches where they control the play in the offensive zone and you get two or three shifts in a row where the puck is, is hemmed in. They, they, they haven't been as proficient in that. And on the back end, you, you know, I think the strides they made last year to be a contending team and even to win, you know, you win, okay, you win the first round, but you have to be able to defend. And, when you're sitting at 21st in the league right now and goals against, uh, that's 
you know, if I'm looking at the team and say that's that's going to be our big problem, that's going to be our nemesis there if we get into another tough series, whether you end up playing a team like Florida or Tampa or Boston, whoever it may be, you know you have to be a much better team defending. And the penalty kill has to be able to make a notch up. So if you're looking at what you what can you do to fix your team or help your team, uh, I, I don't think there's any question that that area is probably the most concerning one if you're looking at can this team do anything come playoff time. If, if, if you're going to be a bottom five, bottom ten team uh, defensively and penalty killing wise, you know the you know what happens playoff time. I mean, you you've got to be able to be proficient in that area, and I think that would be one thing that would be you know what can we do to shore that up come come trade deadline time. Uh, Simmer, what did you make of Sheldon Keefe's comments about about a week ago or so? He said uh, 42 games in, and I still don't know who I can trust. Uh, is that a a kind of call to action for the players to you know be a bit more reliable? Is it something that the coach needs to? work on in terms of more tweaks and more blenders or maybe find a little bit of more accountability and more accountability or maybe some more stability. Like what did you make of those comments from Sheldon Keefe? Well, I think it's indicative of, uh, of just how guys haven't taken a hold of spots. Like uh, Max Domi hasn't shown that he can be a guy that can be a third line center or even a reliable uh, second or third line winger. None of the guys that have come in, uh, have really identified that, yeah, I, I'm comfortable with this spot. I've showed Bertuzzi uh, this, the same way. You know, you can also talk, they haven't got the offense, but they also just haven't had the consistent play that I think you're looking for as a coach to say, oh, yeah, like I said earlier, this line really makes sense. You know, even a Matthew Nye's uh, coming into his first full year, you know, eight goals, okay, he's had his moments, but he's also had a lot of really big opportunity with the top guys and still hasn't quite been able to show that he's totally comfortable there. So I, I echo those statements that I think you, you don't feel that guys have slotted into their roles and are showing the coach that, yeah, I'm ready to not just survive, but thrive in those positions. And I would think that's been a little bit unnerving for him as he looks, as he said, to the 45-game mark. Uh, last one for you, Simmer. Ilya Samsonov will make his second straight start tonight, uh, which almost seemed like an impossibility uh, about a week or, or two weeks ago. Uh, Joe Wall's return, not imminent yet, but we know it's coming soon. And Martin Jones, of course, is dealing with a little bit of a lull in his play, which might not be all that surprising. Uh, does like the future of the Maple Leafs goaltending sort of situation hinge on how good these next couple starts for Samsonov go? Like, is it that big, the stakes tonight for Samsonov? Well, I, I think it is just all the way through. You're sitting, you know, hoping a guy like Joseph Wall comes back, but he's not a guy who's proven he can be a number one goaltender yet, and he's coming off a very difficult injury to try to recoup from. So, you know, if you're thinking that the, you know, the Calvary's coming and to save the day, I think that's a little misguided too. So I, I do think that this was an important time on the heels of, you know, Samsonov played pretty well against Detroit, didn't get the win, played well, although, you know, wasn't tested all that much in Seattle, but played well and made the big saves. And you're trying to build a guy up. This is exactly the game that you had to play him in. So I, I do think that it's an important time. But like everything that you have to make as a, as a general manager or sitting as a coach making the decisions who plays or not, 
you you're only you only have who you have, and it's not the perfect scenario having Jones and Samson off and an injured wall. But I don't think you know you just have to do the best to manage the situation, and and you hope that your team can have another effort where you protect your goaltender well, you don't expose them, and you hope that the guy can build his confidence back. And quite frankly, I don't think there's a you know a magic pill to swallow that's going to make the goaltending the best in the league, you're just going to have to deal and manage the guys that you have. And I think they're trying the best scenario to try to pop them up and give them an opportunity to succeed. Well, it's going to be a big one tonight, Zimmer. We appreciate your time so close to puck drops. Say hi to CeCe and uh, have a great call tonight. All right. Thanks for having me on. Take care. Greg Simpson, of course, of Sportsnet, Hockey Night in Canada, ahead of Leafs and Jets in about 30 minutes on Sportsnet. Part one of the doubleheader on Wednesday Night Hockey, Chicago and Seattle later at 10 p.m. Uh, yeah, it was not expansion. It was relocation for the Winnipeg Jets about, what, 13 years ago they came mm. back in the league? It seems like, not just yesterday, but doesn't seem like it was 13 years ago, if we're being honest. But the topic of expansion again today with uh, Ryan Smith, a billionaire. Not that based. Ryan Smith. No, I had not, to double not, check. Not the gritty <laughs> former oiler. I was like, how did he uh, become a billionaire? What? The, the tech Ryan Smith. Uh, <laughs> interested in bringing a team, just kind of saying it out loud, I suppose. Um, and, and it got us thinking about expansion, clearly, mm-hmm. because we know and understand the money at stake. But at a certain point, you also have to think about the state of the game and the quality of the game and what you have now and what you have now in the NHL based on the latest two teams that came in, Vegas and Seattle, is perfect symmetry. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, 16 teams per conference, eight per division. Uh, it seems like the most balanced and, and fair playing field that they've had for a while. It doesn't feel like something you should mess with, but that's not the only reason. I, I think you got to worry about the quality of play by adding and adding and adding, and maybe 33 would be a bridge too far for me. And nobody wants to have 33 thoughts the podcast. You'd I, have to make it 34. I feel like I'd accept that concession. No, no, you can't. More work no for odd numbers. Make it 34, and then you might as well add two more, so all the divisions, so 36. Now, I think that the, I think expansion, we've just seen it be successful twice, but like, Let's just, like, let, let, let's let pause for a minute, right? Mm-hmm. Utah, I mean, it wasn't at the top of my list. Quebec City would be, you know, there's a lot of other places I, I would have pictured hockey growing in. Clearly, they wouldn't make this, you know, pitch unless they thought it was going to be successful and if they didn't have the backing. So I, I, I guess I'm kind of just surprised about the location, but I think you're right on about adding too much too quickly. The level of play, we've already seen some teams that are just... AHL worthy at times, right? Mm-hmm. And like the caliber of hockey can be very different from the top of the of the league and the bottom of the league. Um, so I, I don't know if we need to rush into expanding and making the NHL bigger. I do understand that the bottom line and the dollar uh, does attract a lot of interest in this. Yeah, yeah. I mean, uh, the billion-dollar carrot is, is definitely an incentive that mm. is going to have people reaching for it, right? Like, I, I understand all that. And I actually don't deny that the NHL, like there's enough replacement level talent around mm-hmm. to not really have it uh, affect the game, affect the league. Like you look around and be like, wow, there's like just no talent on these teams. <laughs> like one team is not going to do that. There might be a couple more mid teams, a couple more really bad teams, but you kind of do need that in a competitive league or at least one that's going to have storylines and different teams that are doing other things, whether it's trading and so on and so forth. But 
just because it's not going to look bad or look noticeable in terms of a diluted talent pool, it's not going to move you closer to being like, hey, there's a there's great teams. There's a lot of co- competition at the high end. It's not going to move you closer to that. So I think, you know, with a lot of talent coming up, USA hockey booming, yeah, you're going to have that support, but why not let that improve the quality mm-hmm. of the league now and then see where you're at? If we're doing an expansion, it should be PWHL first. I agree with that. There we go. Um, okay, we're going to chat about this and more with Frank Saravelli after the break. Uh, we're going to play a little clip from Blair and Barker on Bo Bichette, uh, with Bo Bichette today on their podcast. You can check that out. And we'll do some best bets and a little bit of uh, tidbits on the other side. Uh, but this uh, this topic with Frank, I'm curious as his perspective. He is American. Maybe he wants another team down there in the States. We'll see. All that to come on the fan pregame. Everything Raptors before and after the games. The Raptor Show with Will Liu. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. All right, we're back on the fan pregame, Sportsnet 360 and Sportsnet 590. The fan, Maple Leafs taking on the Winnipeg Jets in about 30 minutes on Sportsnet, followed by Chicago and Seattle, 10 p.m. It's going to be a big one, an opportunity for the Maple Leafs to kind of size themselves up against a Canadian opponent that seems like it's taken a couple steps up the ladder in terms of rungs of possible teams to bring home a Stanley Cup to Canada. Uh, speaking of size, too, Sportsnet won tonight. The Oklahoma City Thunder visiting the San Antonio Spurs. Rookie of the year head-to-head matchup again. Chet versus Wemby, but also Shea, Gilgis, mm. Alexander. And I think it's a rule now that MVP candidates have to go off against San Antonio. <laughs> Is that right? A 70 piece for Can Embiid earlier. <laughs> Shea's got to match that. Let's bet the over for Shea later, but we'll get to that. Like, But he's going to have a big game, right? They should have props where you can... I know there's like ladders as you'd like to use big ladder guy like can you bet a player to get over 70 points probably not that's like just uh, absurd. i don't think so like probably 50 not. i think is the highest i've ever seen on a book i wonder like if you had to set that line like it's gotta it's gotta like a be billion. like 40 to 50 to 1 no at least but now you know someone just did it the other day do they add that i mean the carl anthony town story too with him go- absolutely going off then getting benched yeah. losing the game Hint, hint, I'm also betting the under on him after mm. a little slap on the wrist from Chris Finch. Uh, a, a, a great night in basketball on Monday with a 70-point effort from Embiid and 62 and a loss for Carl Anthony Towns. Uh, we're just waiting for Frank to join us in a minute here. Uh, we're going to ask him about the Edmonton Oilers. So 14 straight wins mm-hmm. they got last night. Uh, rolling through the Columbus Blue Jackets. Their next one is another easy one. I don't want to jinx them, but they got the Blackhawks tomorrow night. Then they got the Predators Second on... Second half of a back-to-back. Yeah, there you go. Predators on Saturday, and then a little bit of a break before the All-Star break, and then the Golden Knights. So it's seemingly like they're getting closer and closer to being able to break the all-time consecutive win record. We do have Frank Cerebelli of DailyFaceOff.com joining us now. Frank, how's it going today? It has been a day, guys. How are you? <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good way to put it. It has been a day. Uh, we'll start with the big news of the day, of course. Five players told to surrender in connection to the Hockey Canada sexual assault in 2018. Lots to go through, but um, I'll start broadly. What is your understanding of what happens next in this process? Yeah, so we're actually kind of really in a holding pattern now because according to that Globe and Mail report, 
these five players have been given a period of time to essentially surrender to police and face charges, yet we have gotten word from the London Police Service that they're anticipating holding a press conference to further share details on February 5th, which is 12 days from now. So really, unless there's some more bombshell reporting to come out, we're kind of in a holding pattern waiting for you know, the London police service to connect with these individuals that have been told to report. And until then, we're not really probably going to learn a whole lot more. Yeah, I think that's fair. It's it's tricky to talk about, right? I mean, there's not much until we know for sure. Uh, and on February 5th, I guess we'll know more. And at that point, you know, we're talking about teams and we're talking about how everyone handled this and, and there'll be a lot more to dig into it. And we'll do that with you, Frank. Uh, when the time comes. Uh, Leafs and Jets tonight. Um, I think this is a bigger week for the Jets than the Leafs, even though the Leafs are in a really weird spot. But from to go from Boston, then have two against the Leafs, home and home, definitely an opportunity, despite being on such an incredible run, to make a statement. But if you were to look at this home and home, Jets and Leafs, is it, is it bigger for one than the other for you? Yeah, I think it's bigger for the Leafs than it is the Jets. To me, the Jets have proven themselves to be one of the league's elite teams, and not just that, but really one of the league's elite defensive teams in terms of how they've defended and kept the puck out of their net with this incredible run that they've been on really over the last couple decades. So for me, um, how do the Leafs stack up to the Jets? What does it look like to face a team that really has things buttoned up in their own end? And it's it's not just the defenseman and it's not just Connor Hellebuck being in Vezina form. A huge part of what the Jets are able to accomplish is also through the work of their forwards and the way that they backtrack backtrack and their their presence and and how their attention of detail is structured in their own end. That's something to me that I think the Toronto Maple Leafs are really lacking, that it's not just their defensemen that have let them down. It's also really connected to their forward group, too. Yeah, Justin uh, keeps, I keep referring to what we talked about at the top of the show, but Con- it's our work, eh? Let's share well, it. No, you, you brought it up, so you get credit. Um, contrasting styles between these two teams, as you mentioned, like defensively sound, great goaltending, a little bit more like even forward contribution, where on the other side, you have the Maple Leafs that have a couple question marks in those first two categories, but have great offensive power at the top. I think you've already maybe answered this, but the higher upside for me seems like a team like the Jets that have like a bit more of a balanced attack, a little bit more of like a blue-collar work ethic. Do you see that when you compare these two teams in terms of their approach to winning a Stanley Cup? Well, I think the only difference is that, you know, and, and pardon the pun, the Jets have a ceiling, it feels like, that there's only a certain level offensively that I think that this team can get to. And, you know, maybe that's an unfair criticism given that, Kyle Connor has missed a big chunk of this season and they've still been incredibly productive at the same time that they've kept the puck out of their own net. But I think the Leafs with their forward group have the ability to get to a different level, but given the way that their salary cap is structured, given the way that their roster is really not properly balanced, can they ultimately get to that same level that, you know, for complete play that the Jets have already achieved? That, I think, is is a question that remains to be answered. And frankly, one that if you're looking over the last four or five years and the playoff runs that have resulted, 
you know, a lot of people would argue that that's the big reason why the Leafs haven't been able to go deeper is their total team defense and attention to detail just isn't there based on the limitations that they have roster wise. Yeah, that's definitely fair and not an issue for Winnipeg, but they have their own issues. And we just have to look back, you know, a couple of years, right? I mean, Colorado, they had the high end and they had the depth to support it. I think the Leafs were chasing that and didn't quite put it together. And I think you can draw parallels to Winnipeg and Vegas. And I'm not really sure, though, what the difference would be because scoring had been an issue for Vegas. The blue line was brilliant. The goaltending definitely worked out. What separates last year's Vegas team and maybe Vegas now to this Winnipeg team? Like, what is Winnipeg missing if they're following that same formula? As far as I can tell right now, um, it would probably just be the really high-end defenseman. Like, I think... Mm. Not taking anything away from Josh Morrissey and what he's been able to accomplish, and I really like Neil Pionk, but neither one of those guys are Alex Petrangelo. Neither one of those guys are Kale McCarr or Devon Taves. And so, like, you kind of go through the list and, and, like, you think back to Colorado and the run that they were able to go on. It's not just one guy. You know, the fact that you were able to trade for Josh Manson at the deadline and not give up a first-round pick – That's huge. The fact that Shea Theodore, now that he's out for the Vegas Golden Knights this year and for a significant period of time, you can kind of directly correlate their dip in in the standings and play with Shea Theodore being out of the lineup. And so that part, um, it, it kind of comes at you in waves on their blue line. And Winnipeg has like one to seven. They're pretty strong. But I like they don't have any guy that to me, um, maybe if you wanted to make the case for Josh Norrissey last year <laughs> that you probably could have with the production, but still um, hadn't ultimately kind of vaulted himself into that category that, you know, Petrangelo and those guys have been in. I remember the Josh Norrissey times. You were well, big on Josh I love the good pun, you know, Josh <laughs> Norrissey. Uh, we're talking to Frank Saravelli, president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com. Okay, we were talking about the Oilers before we brought you on. Another win last night. They're chasing the modern day win streak record, and they're close to it, a couple games away. Um, they got a new head coach, right? And then Connor McDavid looked like he got better from injury. But have we missed something else? Like, how has this been such a dramatic turnaround? Is it just a coach and a player, or is there something else? I think the craziest part, and I saw this stat floating around on social media today, so forgive me if I don't nail it exactly <laughs> right, but in this stretch in which the Oilers have won 14 straight games, neither Connor McDavid nor Leon Dreisaitl is in the top 10 in scoring over that period of time. <laughs> yep. And I think what that does is it dispels the notion that this is a team that is either on running on the back of one man and Connor McDavid or two is, is a group of power play merchants. That was the quote that was mm-hmm. going around last year as if somehow power play goals count any less than even strength goals. Um, you know, I think that to me is, is looking at this Oilers team on nights that they have really not looked great, such as a huge chunk of last night's game against the Blue Jackets, that they find ways to win. They find ways to come back. You know, you look at Stuart Skinner and some growth that we've seen in his game over this year. You look at the way that this defense core has been way more efficient and settled down in a significant way since Paul Coffey joined their bench. 
Like those things are not accidents and it's not just a team that's on one incredible run and has had since Chris Knobloch took over a 14 game winning streak and an eight game winning streak. It's been way more complete. And I think the stats and numbers would bear that out in addition to the eye test. Yeah, you're right. It hasn't been just McDavid going, you know, superhuman, dry sidle doing uh, the same. Uh, of course, the goaltending numbers are awesome and Stuart Skinner's a big part of it. But it feels like they just are more comfortable in tighter games, more comfortable in their skin, more comfortable in what they're doing because. Yeah, it hasn't looked like a Picasso every single time. Seen a lot of 1-1 games in the third period, and they just hold their nerve. And that's something it felt like the Oilers could never do. It was like, oh, they're going to give up a couple. Then McDavid would score a couple, and maybe they get a point in overtime. Like, it just feels like the team is different. And I do think Knobloch and Coffee deserve a lot of credit for that. But you know, I was going to say, yeah. to bring it back to the Leafs, like, that's not a feeling that they've had no, really all like even in, I saw them in person last week in Calgary, the Austin Matthews hat trick game, or the I guess the fourth one, and they were they they weren't good in the first period, down mm-hmm. to nothing, and they were rattled at varying points, and then almost coughed up the lead. Like it's kind of been that night after night where you're hoping for stability and comfort, and maybe just maybe what the Oilers went through earlier this year and their hair being on fire and absolutely losing all of their confidence and their season being in the ditch that will go on for them in the long run to be hugely beneficial. How do you handicap the Pacific now with the Oilers rise? Uh, And you mentioned Vegas taking a step back, Bruce Cassidy going after them, uh, Mm. calling it a beer league effort a couple nights ago. You mentioned losing Shea Theodore. Kings went through a real rough spot there. Canucks just continue to roll, but I think there's still questions about how, how real they can be, what their ceiling may be. Do you vault the Oilers right to the top of that list? Not to the top just yet, but I think, you know, in addition to this winning streak modern day record being within their sights, which, by the way, um, if they get through the all-star break with two more wins, Mm. they could face Vegas on Feb 6th for for home ice, essentially, Mm -hmm. uh, in round one, which would be incredible theater to kick off essentially the second half of the season. Um, when I look at the Canucks, like there hasn't been the dip that everyone's been expecting. And with the way that Thatcher Demko, Quinn Hughes and Elias Pettersson have played, plus that, you know, even the last few games, you see the lotto line kind of hit a skid a little bit. The fact that they've continued to win in that stretch speaks to the depth that Vancouver has. I still think Van is maybe like one piece away from really kind of being considered to be part of that inner circle of cup contenders. But I've got the Oilers there right now with how well they've played and it's not going to continue on like this 14 game winning streak forever, but they've figured out a lot in their game. As we've just talked about that. I think they deserve to be right near the top. Speaking of the West coast ish, how about adding another team over there? Uh, What are your thoughts on, Utah possibly being an expansion idea, opportunity for the NHL. Is there an appetite there for you personally to add another team to this, you know, 32 teams uh, that sometimes there's uh, some ups and some downs with the caliber of hockey? Well, first off, I was really disappointed in the timing of the release because the league was clearly aware that something was coming this morning in terms of a report about um, this sexual assault investigation that's been ongoing for a long time. And so to serve up some red meat uh, to the hockey-loving public, 
that, you know, Utah is interested in having an NHL team, like I think that probably could have waited for another time. Mm -hmm. And we know that nothing happens in the NHL without a green light. So no expansion interested uh, prospective ownership group acts without being in accordance with uh, the NHL. So park that for a second and, and say that, yes, um, this is a real opportunity for Salt Lake City. And I think it's more so in the short term than some would even imagine with the clock that the Arizona Coyotes are on. And it depends on who you talk to, but a lot of people believe that the clock's been ticking on Arizona and that, you know, they need to present a cohesive plan to the NHL of exactly when they're going to be putting shovels and steel in the ground on this new arena that they do not seem to have made much progress on behind the scenes that Utah and and Ryan Smith really made it clear in this press release today that they're ready for an NHL team now. And I think in the short term, they remain a very viable option for the Arizona Coyotes to be relocated to Salt Lake city as soon as next season. Wow. Uh, and for Ryan Smith uh, uh, specifically, can you describe the difference between paying a relocation versus mm. an expansion fee? Because I'm personally real worried about just going expansion crazy, and I don't think the NHL will ever turn down a billion dollars if dangled in front of their face, honestly. Um, but <laughs> if it's relocation for Ryan Smith in Utah, is, is that like that much more financially beneficial for them? Uh, I don't know the correct answer to that my Mm. guess would be that it's probably not quite as high as the ability to start fresh and create Mm. you know new colors and logos and team name and franchise history and frankly all the baggage that comes with the arizona coyotes (laughs) from their run in the desert (laughs) but um you know it still would be have to be a pretty hefty price tag in order to get a seat at the table, uh, whether it's the 32nd team or the 33rd or 34th. Uh, you know, franchise values have exploded in a big way, but I guess perhaps in the short term, maybe a couple bucks were knocked off that price with the uh, timing of today's announcement. Could be the best case scenario for everybody. Uh, Frank, before we let you go, uh, how was your trip to Alberta? I saw your outdoor game, which I was very envious of. Uh, I wonder your skill level. You get any goals? You more of a bench warmer, coach? What's the sitch over there? Well, I, I would say my stamina not very good. <laughs> uh, so you know, I was I tried to keep it to NHL average, thirty seven second shift nice. length, and and get off, contribute, uh, score a few goals if I can. And look, I, I made it through. The weather was great. Mm. We had plus two degrees in the mountains, which was crazy given how cold, how cold it was in Alberta before the week before. No injuries and. No defibrillator for me, so I think that's win, a win, win. Was that a sc- that screenshot of two Sharks players in overtime just laying down? <laughs> that's, yeah, that that's what I expect, or that's expect some moments uh, of Pondagi would look that's like. That's fun. Uh, well, Frank, we appreciate you coming on uh, and dealing with a bunch of topics today. We'll definitely chat with you next week. Thanks. Have a good week, guys. Frank Cervelli, uh, president of hockey content at dailyfaceoff.com. I don't know if we're going to get any shinny weather for the next little while. Everything's melting out there, but I was jealous. Frank was out in beautiful Alberta. I, think, mm. I don't know if it was Lake Louise. I couldn't really tell, but it was stunning, and I was envious of That's that. like the dream. Like, if you could if you could map out a weekend day or a we, yeah, weekend day in winter. A weekend day, yeah. 
And it seems <laughs> so like wrong. it's wrong, but it's, a it's not. a weird way of saying it. But like, <laughs> just like a Saturday in winter, in January, February, mountains, ice. Stunning. Skate sticks, pot. Like, that's just, that's, uh, you can't really beat that. You definitely cannot. Uh, we got two more things to, to fit into the show quickly here. Bo Bichette was on Blair and Barker. Big get for them, of course. And talked a little bit about the window of opportunity. Now, you can check this podcast podcast out, of course, where we get your pods, Blair and Barker. Um, let's play this little tidbit and we'll talk about, which I think is a very telling answer. I think it's up to us whether that window is closing or not. But at the end of the day, I mean, we're not a young team anymore. The whole excuses of, you know, growing and learning and all that, that's out the window. It's time to it's time to be grown. I think we've been through enough experience at this point. So um, not to say that what we've gone through isn't great experience, but I think, um, you know, saying we're learning, saying we're growing, that kind of stuff, like I think that's over and it's time to get it done. We've talked a lot about how good we are. We've said, you know, things like that plenty of times from a team from the team as a whole or individuals um, separately, but it's just time to, you know, put the work in and see what we're capable of. If we're not good enough, we're not good enough, but, um, you know, we can put the work in and, and see what we are, we are capable of. So a couple little pieces of that that stand out to me. And Bo is very intentional with his words. Like, he doesn't do interviews very often, and when he does, I always listen to what he has to say because I think that he speaks very, I guess... It's real. It's real. Like he uses his opportunity to say something that he wants to be heard. So he said that it's time to be grown. We're not a young team anymore. Right. So the excuse of being young and like, oh, you're still figuring out you're not. And there's no more time for learning. It's time to get it done. Like to me, that is boom. Doors are closing. You're in this window of opportunity and there's no more excuses for it. Oh, you know, we're a young team. We're developing or we have to figure out how to play at the major league level. Like the way that he explains that to me is like, we need to win or we need to move on. Mm-hmm. It sounds like a guy who's closer to having his professional freedoms. <laughs> and, and this is a guy, of course, a couple of years away from being able to make his call, uh, sign that three year to take him through arbitration. The second to last year, starting this year. Uh, and with that, when you move closer, you don't have to toe the line as much. And I'm not yeah. saying he said anything outlandish. No, no, no. But I expect this guy, who's been kind of just very careful, as you mentioned, and deliberate, but more careful than I than anything else, uh, to maybe be a little bit more outspoken. And frankly, if you're a Blue Jays fan, that's what you want. Definitely. Because what Bo Bichette wants or feels is an issue or would demand if he had the voice, and not to say he doesn't, but using it carefully again, that's probably the best thing for the organization or actually what the organization means. And I don't think there's been like a brain drain when it comes to leadership the same mm-hmm. way it's been with talent because this team's lost a lot of talent over the last couple of years. Like a little less talented, I feel, almost every year because they're losing players and they're not getting much back. I mean, God's been breaking up a little bit, but you understand what I'm saying. Like yep. they've, they have taken a step back since the days of Marcus Semyon probably the best lineup they've had in the last mm-hmm. five years, right? So uh, I feel like a leader is probably needed. I think you have it in the rotation. I think you can rely on those guys. But in terms of what this offense, what this order looks like, Bo being this guy is what you want. Definitely. But does Bo have around him what he needs? I think he's kind of calling for it there a little bit and maybe saying, yeah, we don't in, in his own way. But I, I just worry that you squandered this already, right? You squandered. Maybe you were too young. 
when it was the best opportunity. And, and now I think he's looking around, and I think he'd be, be a bit more honest. But he's right. They're, they are growing, and there's no more excuses. Uh, this team, the, the excuse being that they've let talent walk out the door, I think mm-hmm. is valid. But this is if we're looking at it all-encompassing, this entire window, there's no excuses for not having any success within his tenure as a Blue Jay, and I'm sure he's realizing that. Uh, you can check that whole podcast out, of course, on Blair and Barker, their interview with Bo Bichette earlier today. Um, okay, before we say goodbye, we've about two minutes to do a couple best bets to finish our day. Now, folks, you know I have been all over the PWHL unders, 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 unders. Well, let me tell you, there's been 16 PWHL games played so far. Only three of those 16 have hit the over. And okay. now the books know. They're moving the overs to four and a half. And now tonight is the first time that I tell you to bet an over. So today's best bet for me is to parlay PWHL Boston, who's about to start, so you got to get this in real quick, uh, against Ottawa. Ottawa's on the back-to-back, and they're playing their backup goaltender. This is the first back-to-back in league that history. screams over. It screams A, over, <laughs> and it screams B, Boston, to get the win. So plus money uh, if you parlay those together. And, I mean, time has said it's time to bet some overs. You know what else it screams? Ladder. Yeah, Bo- you're Boston, all about the ladder. Boston I love it. Boston minus one and a half. Boston minus two and a half. Plus 500. Boston minus two and a half tonight. Can we just get a 4-1 victory so that we're all uh, on the same board, a boat, and happy tonight? <laughs> uh, I love that pick. Boston minus two and a half plus 500. I also like Minnesota because I'm a Taylor Heisey guy. Yeah. Plus the over, plus 291. But this is the one I want to go okay. with. Carl Anthony Towns, slap on the wrist. Uh, Chris Finch, the coach of the T-Wolves, calling him out after 62 points. Got to go back to basics. Got to play the game the right way. A lot of defense, or at least a semblance of defense, from Cat tonight. I see he un- goes under 24 and a half points because he's focusing on other things than hero ball. Okay. Also Ooh, like Shea shots over. Shots fired. Shea over, like we mentioned. Okay, Justin's throwing every bet in the book at you. Same. One Shea of them over. will hit. It's always Shea over. One of them will hit. Uh, well, that was a fun one. Wednesday night hockey about to begin. Leafs and Jets. We'll be back with you tomorrow on Baby Friday. It's going to be a fun one. Thanks, everyone.